Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to Chomp's tasty meat sticks packed with mouthwatering flavor for supporting Made for This. Right now, Chomps is offering you 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash made for this. Welcome back this week to another episode of the Made for This podcast. We have some really fun things in store for you. And when I say fun, I mean, this is an episode that I, Chloe, personally, chose out of the archives because it did a number on me in all the best ways. You know we love and respect Paul David Tripp so much. This was an episode on expectations, the expectations that we have on others, expectations of others on us, and it just felt like the right time. So I know you're going to love it. Let's listen to what Paul Tripp is going to teach us about expectations. Let's go. Well, you all probably know Dr. Paul Tripp. But if you don't, uh, Paul, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about your family and what you're passionate about? So uh, I've been married, this is shocking, for 50 years, just uh, celebrated our 50th anniversary, August 22nd. So that's- That's amazing and congratulations. It's a picture of God's grace. Um, And my driving passion is to connect the transforming power of Jesus Christ to everyday life. I think people often know, understand salvation past, the forgiveness they received in Jesus, salvation future, uh, the eternity will have, but they don't understand what they've been given right here, right now. And I just believe once you understand the gospel, it just changes everything for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that um, as your intro, <laughs> because it is how you teach, it is how you write, and I've been blessed by both things that you have produced, and and it is just a continual coming back to Jesus, but in a really practical way. And today we're going to talk about marriage, and even for those of you that are not married, you know every once in a while we'll talk about a subject that perhaps doesn't apply to you. But throughout the episode, we're going to do our best to make this useful for all people, because I do believe the things we're going to talk about apply to all of our relationships, not just marriage. And, and, and I'm going to give you an example, because the first question I have for you is, is that about expectations, that we all go into marriage, but I believe we go, go into all relationships with expectations. And so let's start with biblical expectations versus unbiblical expectations. A lot of people I know, their marriages right now are really difficult. And I don't know if that's because we're coming out of a season of quarantine where we've all been kind of undone and and stuck together, but I do feel like this is a subject that keeps coming up among the people that I do life with and love that marriage is really hard right now. So let's talk about expectations and how we go into marriage. I mean, I think it's almost impossible, right, to go into marriage without some expectations. Sure. I, I think that one of the big problems is that we don't take seriously 
what the Bible says about who we are and where we're living. This will sound negative, but I don't think it actually is. If you take a biblical view of marriage, here it is. It's a flawed person married to a flawed person in a fallen world, but with a faithful God. You see, if you don't, if you don't think about that, then you're immediately shocked when that person disappoints you or when something you have to face together in, in your marriage that, that's hard. And you think, what is going on? This is not what I signed in on for. Principle in those unrealist expectations is your expectation of yourself. And I love what Paul says in Isaiah, Isaiah, 1 Corinthians 15. It's so helpful. He says, Jesus came so those who live would no longer live, check these words out, for themselves. Mm. Sin reduces my field of concern down to my wants, my needs, my feelings. And let me explain what that does to marriage. Here's the syndrome. Desire, everybody has desires, become demands. Demands get christened as needs. Needs form expectation. Expectation produces disappointment. Disappointment results in some aspect of punishment. That's a syndrome every marriage goes through. Mm. It's not wrong to have desires. But in my selfishness, I make those desires demands of you. This is your job. Your job is to make me happy. No human being can make another human being happy. And then I even begin to communicate those as needs. I can't live without this thing. So now your expectation is to sign on to my kingdom and to become the slave of my set of desires because I say I can't live without these things. When you fail me, I have crushing disappointment and I strike back in in some way. Wow. I mean, there it is. That's what we all deal with. But it all starts with not understanding that I drag something into marriage. I'm saying I, I mean, all of us do. That's antisocial to relationships. Because if I'm reducing my feeling concern down to my wants, my needs, my feelings, I'm not actually marrying you because I love you. Mm. I'm marrying you because I love me. (laughs) I think you'll give to me the things that I want. Oh, that's so big and good. And you're right. I, I think, I mean, just that line, I hope everybody just took that in, that we marry our spouses for us rather than for them. And it is a backwards way to view marriage. And yet you're right. That is the gospel, right? He helped us dive to ourselves. Like that's what died at the cross was our flesh, our sin, our our bondage to that. So what we all do have needs, right? So I think what you're saying is so helpful and right and true. And yet we also do all come into relationships, especially that with our spouse, where we do have real valid relational needs. Is that true? Am I am I wrong on that? Sure. The, the, you could argue, and I think this is why in Romans 8, When Paul talks about God meeting us in our suffering, the crescendo of that passage is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why is that crescendo? Because Paul knows two things. One, the cry in every heart of every human being is, will somebody love me? But there's a second cry that's even scarier. Once they get to know me, will they still love me? Mm. And the Bible says, yes, yes, yes. There's one who will do that. He will love you. And he knows your deepest, darkest, crazy self. And he still loves you. It's not wrong to desire love. What's wrong is when I say, you must love me in this way, or I'm not going to accept that as love. And that's 
I'm loaded then with all my desires and all my demands and all my wants. And I'm judging whether you will deliver that to me. Listen, the deepest craving of my heart will never be satisfied by marriage. And to put that on a spouse is asking your husband or wife to be your own personal Messiah. It will never happen. A person living between the already and the not yet that's still being changed by God's grace will never deliver that to you. So together we say, we know someone who will deliver that to us. And we want to together put our hope in him. That's intensely practical in marriage. Again, I don't think this is negative. I just think it's realistic. My wife is going to have a bad day. She's going to lose her way. There are moments where she may say a bad thing or do a bad thing. If I'm loaded with me in the middle of my world, all that stuff becomes huge to me versus I get it. I'm like her. Mm. And so I, I approach that with, with grace. Let me, let me talk about grace. Grace is never calling wrong right. If wrong were right, there would be no need for grace. Grace is a way of dealing with what is wrong that moves toward that person with a desire to understand, a desire to help, instead of, you did this to me, and now you're going to pay the price. And I would say everybody listening agrees with you and is saying, yes, yes, and <laughs> you don't know how hard my spouse is. You know, you don't know, you don't know how long I've tried to be gracious and I, I feel like I can't anymore. Talk to that person that just feels so stuck, that feels like their marriage is imploding and the other person won't change. The other person maybe doesn't even follow God or want to make things right. So there, there are two, two positions that you could have in that moment. I, I don't think we should ever underestimate the huge hurt and disappointment that can happen in marriage. Marriage is a place where you, you can experience the highest of joys and the deepest, deepest of sorrows. I, I never want to minimize that. And, and biblical faith never asks you to deny reality. If you deny reality, you may get momentary peace, but you're not exercising biblical faith. God meets us in those moments. So there's, there's, there's two positions. If I'm dealing with a disappointing marriage and I've placed all of my happiness in the hope that that person will deliver, I'm cooked. That just makes what is already hard even harder. And that's just the principle. You never just suffer the thing you're suffering. You always suffer the way you're suffering, the thing that you're suffering. You bring something to your suffering. And if that person is in the position of being your Messiah, being the carrier of your inner peace and happiness, then if they're not loving you as they should, that just makes that a thousand times worse. Think of another situation where I'm very sad that my husband or my wife doesn't love me the way God had designed for a person to love, but God is my hope. God is mm. my strength. God is my encouragement. God is my source of happiness. Now I have the means of not getting down and getting dirty of having inner peace while I still try to work on my marriage, while I still can confess my disappointment, but I haven't lost my way. I'm not angry all the time. I'm not depressed all the time because that person isn't my Messiah. My wife said the sweetest thing to me, and some people won't think this is sweet. She came to me one day and she said, Paul, I love you. 
I'm so thankful that we're married, but I want you to get something. I want you to hear something. I don't get my identity from you. Now, why was that sweet to me? That was liberating to me because I'm not in the role of being her savior. I'm in the role of being her husband, her friend, but her life doesn't rise and fall with me. Mm. And see, if that happens in marriage, you can't live with a less than perfect person. Right. Well, yeah, because your whole mood, I mean, you know, I, I look at even marriages that can get codependent. And again, it's a tricky thing because we're also one and we're supposed to need each other and depend on each other. But but I, I think you're you're striking at that balance of when we put our ultimate hope in that other person and our emotions are, are riding with theirs, that's where it gets unhealthy. My husband walked through a season of depression that he openly talks about. And I remember having a choice. Like I can either crumble with him or I can be walking with God and be okay and help him and support him, but not fall with him. And you just said language around that. And I think that is so helpful in marriage. And I don't know if anybody ever taught me that. I think it was, I just remember a moment of choice where he was sinking so low. I, I just remember I have to choose here. And I think prior to that, it was such a moment of choice, even though it was later in our marriage, because I probably had ridden. <laughs> I probably had followed his mood and his feelings. So talk more about that because I, I think that's hard to dissect. We're supposed to need each other and be so intimately close that, of course, his mood would affect mine or, or how he's doing would affect me. What's that line? Again, we don't want to curse desire because we've We've been given the capacity to desire. Ultimately, it's desire that drives us to God. So desire is not a bad thing. But here's what you, uh, a principle that I find very personally helpful in my life. A desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. So it's not wrong to desire that my husband or my wife would love me the way God says to love me. But if that becomes the single biggest thing in my life, it will take me down because no one will love me perfectly except my Savior. And everybody will go through seasons of life that are, that are hard. I was, I was raised in a sensible Christian family, but very abusive. And there was a period of time where, as an adult, I went through the struggle of that and dealing with that once again. It was a very dark and emotional time for me. And Luella had to walk through that time with me. She was not the center of my attention at that point. I didn't love her the way that I should love her at that point. Uh, but she had something larger that she was holding on to, larger that motivated her. They gave her a reason to continue than just me. Mm. Did she love me? Sure. Was that hard for her? Of course it was. Did she pray for that season to be over? You bet she did. But she had something to hold on to, something that gave her a reason to continue that wasn't just my love. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes the central thing, ruling thing in your heart. So how does someone that's listening to this decipher, is that where I am with my spouse? So- Another principle, if the size of your reactions in a given moment are bigger than the size of the situation, the situation, then you know you're bringing something to them that's making them even more difficult than they are. For, for example, you're sitting at 
dinner and what should be innocuous conversation just explodes into anger because that person has disagreed with you. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, the power of that emotion at that moment is not about that little disagreement. It's it's a little thing. Right. It's some I'm bringing something to you and and what I brought is that little moment is another indication that you're failing these expectations that I have for you. And I'm throwing my hands up in the air and saying, will, will this person ever love me the way I crave for someone to love me? So that little moment is actually playing out a much bigger drama that makes what should be more difficult than, than it is. So if the size of your responses are bigger than the size of the situation, a couple say to me, we just fight about everything. There it is. They're not fighting about those things. They're carrying deep disappointment because I've been hit with the shock that I've married a less than perfect person who won't make life paradise for me. Listen, marriage will never be paradise. Paradise is coming. This isn't my paradise destination. This moment is preparation for a final destination. Mm. But you'll never turn your marriage into paradise because God has ordained for us between the already of our coming to know him and the not yet of our home going to be people who are progressively changing, living in a broken world. So we won't get paradise. Can you have a good marriage? Yes, but you won't have a paradise marriage. Well, guys, it's Monday at 3.30 in the afternoon. And true story, I just went downstairs and I said to myself, okay, what can I eat right now to have enough energy to last through dinner time, bedtime, all the things? And I was like, oh, this is a perfect time to eat chomps. Because if you've never heard of chomps, imagine the perfect on-the-go snack that makes 24 hours feel like enough hours in the day. It's hard to get enough protein in your diet as is, and Chomps makes it really easy. And so we've teamed up with Chomps, and they have a great offer for you to try them out. Go to chomps.com slash made for this to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. Chomps makes snacking simple. Their tasty meat sticks are packed with mouthwatering flavor and only the best real ingredients. So every single Chomps meat stick has the protein your body needs, over nine grams of protein per stick. But they leave out all the unhealthy additives, sugar, low carb, they don't have any extra fillers, and they're made with natural ingredients that you can feel good about. Chomp sticks come in nine different flavors, so there's something for everybody. In the morning when I'm packing the boys' lunches, I have all their lunch boxes lined up, and chomsticks are the perfect snack to put in each of their lunch boxes for the day to get them through their busy day, and I know that they're putting something good in their bodies. My go-to staple chomps flavor is their free-range turkey because it is just a really classic, amazing turkey meat stick, and it is my boy's favorite too. And with thousands of five-star reviews, snackers around the world have satisfied their cravings with chomps. And what's even better, you can order them online and have them delivered straight to your door and subscribe for ongoing savings. Right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash made for this. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash made for this. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. I think 
one of the fears people have is if I let, and I'm going to use language that you're not using, but I think people might be hearing, I'm going to let my spouse off the hook. I'm not going to hold them to something that I'm, I'm craving or want them to be. Then it's going to implode. What does the gospel have to say about that? Because I think whatever the relationship is, there's that fear of, I don't want to be enabling and yet I don't want to be a nag, right? Like those those feel like two of the of the options or the two extremes. So you have to talk about two things. One is what are those set of expectations? Love, trust, forgiveness, dealing with our differences with grace. Those are all wonderful expectations. It's not wrong to have those expectations. I want to say this uh, clearly. You should never let your spouse off the hook for things that God calls them to. But you should deal with that with patient, forgiving, truth-speaking grace. Wow. I'm saying wow because what you're saying is true, but what you're saying is very difficult. (laughs) And I think Everybody goes, I would love to do that. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm pressing on these things because I I've got people in my head that I love that are going through difficult marriages. And I've had these conversations with them. I want to do that, but I I don't, it doesn't go over well. It so so here, here's what you have to do. This is so important. You have to embrace the fact that you have no power whatsoever to change the heart of your spouse, none. If by the threat of whatever you would threaten that person with, or by the volume of your voice, or by the force of your argument, you could change another person, Jesus would have never had to come. So our gospel teaches us, I don't have the ability to change that person, none, but God does. And so in my marriage, I want to be a tool in the hands of God in the life of that person. Let, let me give you an example. If I'm, if I'm standing on the street next to two people, and I have a very hard thing to say to both of those, one person doesn't really know me very well, and the other person, I have demonstrated in a thousand ways that I love them, which person is disposed to hear me. Mm. See, God's way is the best way. When I am gracious, loving, kind, patient, forgiving, I am building a ramp that gives me a platform for being heard. The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. Love that doesn't ever speak truth isn't love. And truth that's not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it it gets bent and twisted by other emotions and other agendas. So it's not about letting that person off the hook. It's about how do I keep them on the hook in a way that produces change in that person's life. Mm. And I think the, you know, wild card here is everybody's personal hurt, right? And that's where I would say, I want to just, and and I love that you said the same thing, Paul, of we want to say, we know, I mean, I know you've been married 50 years. I'm sure you recognize moments in your marriage where you thought this was so difficult. Um, And I certainly have those times and have been honest about that in my marriage where we we got help. We we went to a counselor because we were both so hurt that we couldn't do the right things, right? Like we we were both so wounded that it was it was like we couldn't 
take, neither one of us had the power on our own to take the first right step. And so what a counselor did was, was help us unpack that hurt, help that hurt breathe and be heard and heal to where we could start healthier rhythms and patterns in our marriage again. And I remember even when the counselor gave us like, here's what you're going to do next time that, that Jenny feels this way. You're going to say, I'm so sorry. You're going to do all these things. And I was like, I don't, I don't want something fake. And, th- and then he was like, just trust us. Just, just do the fake thing. Like, even if it doesn't, you don't feel it, just do it. And it was unbelievable when my husband did the right next thing, which was to say, I'm sorry. And I am here for you. Even though he was rehearsing things that the counselor had told him to say in that moment, I started to cry and my heart started to melt. And I guess what I want to say is sometimes the very simple act of just loving each other and being there for each other does begin the healing process. I'm not saying it can sum up, you know, five years or 15 years of hurt and and cause it to heal, but it's a beginning, right? It's a it's a beginning of a safe place, and and I think we can just get so stuck that we think things can't change, and and they and people feel helpless. But it's amazing, like just obeying God and like loving each other as Christ loves the church. Like doing that begins to heal to where you can deal with, even if there's more to deal with, you can deal with it. I want to, you know, this season we're talking about being a healthy person, and this week specifically we're talking about being responsible versus blaming the other person. Speak to that for a minute about what that looks like. And and you have been, in a way, speaking to our own personal responsibility, but we know we can't control our spouse completely. What does it look like for us in a relationship to actually be responsible for our own personhood and doing that first step of the right thing? In, In relationships, this will be hard for people to hear too, but I think it's really important. It's been really helpful for me. I have to understand if the selfishness of sin still lives inside of me. If I still reduce the world down to the small confines of my wants, my needs, my feelings, then my biggest problem with relationships is me. Mm. And I can do something about that. Yeah. I, I have to first accept that, that I have to be responsible for the dysfunction that I always bring into relationships. I'm not perfect. I've never been perfect in any one of my relationships. I have to be responsible for my dysfunction, okay? But the Bible would say a healthy person is healthy because they live for something bigger than themselves. And the Bible reduces that down to two things, love of God and love of my neighbor. Mm. That is the most joyful, liberating experience you can have. Because listen, if it's all about me, even the guy in front of me in traffic makes me angry. The lady right. in front of me at the grocery store with too many items in her basket makes me angry. Somebody disagrees with me. I'm just an angry person all the time because life is no bigger than me. But all of a sudden, when I'm living an outward life, and I really do love the people in my life, and they're the focus of my attention, and I want their needs met, and I want them to have joy, and I want peace in my relationship with them. And I want God to be pleased by the way I'm living. All of a sudden, the focus isn't on me. And those problems then, real problems, I have an appropriate look at them. They're not bigger and more dramatic than they actually are because I'm living outside of myself, not just within myself. Mm, That's so helpful. I think the fear that I had when I look back at, at my marriage, I was afraid 
to be honest with myself, to be honest with him about how bad things were. We were in ministry together and I knew it was, we were not connected. We were not understanding each other. We were not dealing with conflict. And I didn't know how to to wave the flag and say, hey, this this isn't good. Talk about how the gospel is big enough for a hard marriage and how we don't have to pretend because I think a lot of people feel like I can't admit this to other people, how bad my marriage is. Well, I would just want to say first is don't settle for surface happiness. I would say don't settle for a Western culture definition of romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, romance is not the cause of a good marriage. True romance is the result of a good marriage. And so don't settle for, for surfacey things. There is no pit of relationship so deep that God's grace is deeper. It just isn't. And so the Bible says something radical to us. I, I, I love this stuff so much. It says, actually it says, confess your faults to one another. Yeah. But then it says, pray and you'll be healed. Mm. So here's the model for marriage. Be honest about what you're going through. Believe that God is for you and in you and with you and seek help and watch what God will do. If you say, I got problems inside of me and I can't change my spouse, then I need help. And so I would say to people, if if you're not gaining ground, get help. But honesty, not pretending, is what fuels a good marriage. Get your faults on the table. Begin to seek help vertically and horizontally and watch the healing that will take place. Hey, did you know that you can text Jenny and I? And we actually read your text messages and we try to respond as many as we can, but it is just like such a fun way for especially you guys, our podcast fam, to ask questions. We send out ideas and stuff for you guys all the time to vote on. If you want to join, get out your phone. You're going to type the word podcast in the message part to the number 214-225-6267. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Thank you.